It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Pumped up for a big, uh, for a big edition here because we've got Jonathan Turley. We woke him up early. He does not like to get up before noon. He's going to be with us in a matter of moments. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. So much legally to discuss. Serious stuff out there. Law enforcement reform is out there as well as... Derek Chauvin, what's happened after in Columbus, Ohio, and what might be happening in Washington, D.C. And we'll be talking about where the state of race is in America as well. And there's a green summit going on where I guarantee you one thing is for sure. Everyone's remote. That's a fact. And nothing will get done. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If we give in to this, America will change as we know it. They will destroy the independence of the judiciary, making D.C. a state is just an unbelievable power grab. So we have an ability to deny them a quorum by not simply not showing up. I'm willing to do that. That's what come, might come to. Bernie, the Biden agenda. That's what America's getting as free college, D.C. statehood, go from a bonehead idea to a bill because of Bernie. There was a reason why Bernie didn't get the nomination. America didn't want a socialist. Now we're getting it as pressure mounts to kill the filibuster. Number two. No President Biden. No Vice President Harris. Not a single member of the administration has paid us a visit here in Yuma or any of Arizona's other border cities. Refusing. President Biden. You should declare a national emergency. He doesn't care. Refusing to help. Departed uh, departed border governors demand aid for the unrelenting surge at the border. The VP, given the assignment, shows utter disinterest, promising a triangle visit in a month and a Zoom call maybe sometime next week. Press lets her get away with it and turns away from the story entirely. Not us. Number one. Just as America was hopeful of a step forward after the traumatic and exhausting trial of Derek Chauvin and the verdict that was reached. So our focus is on um, working to address systemic racism and implicit, implicit bias head on. Wow, fantastic. Policing in America. First and foremost, a reset requires law enforcement respect. On deck is reform. What is Congress working on? Are cops on board? Meanwhile, in Columbus, Ohio, it's simmering right now after a police-involved shooting is being investigated. A 16-year-old was about to stab another 16-year-old and was shot dead before she could stab him. LeBron James irresponsibly weighs in. And, of course, everyone cries race. Jonathan Turley joins us right now. Uh, Jonathan's got a new uh, column out. Uh, state of Washington, the Douglas Commonwealth, and we'll talk about Washington, D.C. becoming a state, perhaps. Jonathan, uh, welcome. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, first off, on what you could see with this involved shooting in Columbus, Ohio, you have a, a police officer get a 911 call. Someone's got a knife. He shows up. He sells down and shoots uh, the person with a knife about to, judging by the video, stab another. Is he in trouble? Likely, this would be found to be a justified shooting. Yesterday on the blog, I went through the police manual and the governing case law in comparing it to the video. Uh, this does appear to meet the standard of cases like Tennessee versus Garner. Uh, he was responding at that split second uh, to someone who was 
in the midst of a knife attack, turning towards a possible victim in close proximity, all of that would normally justify the use of lethal, lethal force. So the presumption here really is with the officer. You think it's smart, uh, Professor, to release the video right away before you had a chance to really go through it? They want to be transparent. They did that uh, when it came to uh, the 20-year-old. His name is Dante Wright last week or two weeks ago, and they did this again yesterday. I think that in the end it's, it's, it's better to be transparent. I think the video supports the officer. It was a very important to counteract what was a false portrayal in the media. Uh, many media outlets, including NPR and others, just simply portrayed this as white officer shoots black teenager, not mentioning in the headlines or sometimes even in the uh, tweets or the articles that she was, in fact, not just armed, but appeared to be attacking another teenager. Uh, so, you know, the police have to be able to get as much information out there as possible to inform people. Uh, you know, this used to be the job of the media, but you can't count on that anymore. Everyone is so much on a hair trigger in terms of the political dialogue and the rage uh, on social media. The police are in this position where they have to be their own reporters. They have to try to break through this barrier so that the public can see that this teenager had a knife in her hand and was turning towards another individual who's only a foot or two away. And you're not kidding, Jonathan, because the Daily Beast did not include the fact that she had a weapon. The New York Times did not and the Washington Post slammed for tweets admitting the fact that uh, Makita Bryant, now who uh, who is dead, uh, was armed with a knife. And NPR did the same thing, told the story without it. So that you're exactly right. You're not exaggerating about one major media outlet, all of them. Yeah, and, and this is what's really crushing, I think, for the country we're not just politically divided. We don't simply have politics that's filled with rage. We no longer have a place that we can gather, a place that we can trust. You know, there used to be, even though the, the media has always had a liberal slant, um, there was a time when you could rely on basic reporting. There was sometimes editorialization, uh, but today, there's a narrative, you know, that, and it shows how you don't need a state media. You don't need a central bureaucracy. What happens in stories like this is that the narrative is very clear right. and immediately comes forward and is immediately echoed by other, you know, newspapers and media outlets. And some of them corrected their stories, but that doesn't you can't make that cat walk backwards. Once you have triggered this initial impression of the shooting, you get, you know, tweets like James and others who are uh, really becoming quite, you know, unhinged. LeBron James. He, by the way, I don't really have much, and I want to get to D.C. as a state, too, because I know you wrote about that, and I'm interested in it. Uh, Jen Psaki said this yesterday, and you talk about tilting the scales. Cut one. The killing of 16-year-old Michaela Bryant by the Columbus police is tragic. She was a child. We're thinking of her friends and family and the communities that are hurting and grieving her loss. We know that police violence disproportionately impacts uh, black and Latino people in communities and that black women and girls, like black men and boys, experience higher rates of police violence. Yeah, thanks for that, because she was about to stab another black woman. 
Well, you know, what, what is really concerning to me about this White House is, you know, Joe Biden constantly portrays himself as, quote, shooting from the, soul, the shoulder and telling the tough, you know, truth. Here's a tough truth to be told. Right. That this officer shot an individual who is in the midst of a knife attack against a third party. That's the tough truth. Yet once again, the Biden White House is refusing to use that powerful voice of the president to make sure people understand what happened. It's incredible. So let's talk about D.C. estate. Uh, You know, for the longest time, we heard that Joe Biden wasn't going to change America, but he's going to have a commission to change the court, Supreme Court. He is going to. Uh, he's jamming down the new Green Deal. We know that he just spent $1.9 trillion and said it was a coronavirus aid, and very about 10% of it was. And now we're about to do the same thing with infrastructure. And then when it comes to making D.C. a state, he thinks it's about time. It's going to be called the Washington Douglas Commonwealth, and it'll just have a small portion uh, excluded from it, just around the Capitol building and the White House. Is this constitutional? Well, there's a big debate about that. I actually testified about five times on statehood and voting for the district. And one of the things I put forward was an alternative to statehood. I've argued for the last 20 years that Maryland should retrocede back. To, I'm sorry, that D.C. should retrocede back to Maryland. Originally, the district was composed of both Virginia and Maryland land. The Virginians didn't like their status, and they were allowed to retrocede back to Virginia, what I suggested 20 years ago is that D.C. should do the same. We can reduce the district, in my view, but the better option is to have them rejoin Maryland. And I point out in my academic study all of the benefits that would come to the district. They would, in many of the areas they've struggled in, like education, the court system, Maryland has a very successful record in those areas, and they could become part of a larger, more vibrant economy. But you'll notice retrocession is not being discussed, and it's because the Democratic leadership not only does not – not only wants those two seats in the Senate, but also the Maryland Democrats are not eager to cede their own authority to people in D.C. They don't want the the center of power in Maryland to shift in any way towards D.C. So politics is overwhelming the debate. If we really want to talk about the district's representational status, let's talk about retrocession and what citizens could get from that. Yeah, if they're really worried about if they're really worried about the crime level in Washington D.C. and representation in the in the government, that's what would happen. But they're not. This is about two more Senate seats and a congressional seat. And this is one thing that was brought up. They say in Federalist uh, 43, the framers of the Constitution believed that the federal government needed to have control over the seat of government, over the place where it has to conduct its business so that it would not find itself beholden to a particular state government for its day-to-day needs. Does that play a role in this, what the founders intended? Yeah, that's part of the problem with this debate. You know, they pushed this through without having really any alternative views explored. You know, the House leadership has been really sort of imposing muscle plays on all of these bills. And there wasn't a discussion about the original purpose. I'm okay with the concept of retrocession, obviously. But there is a debate to be had here. The framers believe that no state should have actual or practical control over what they call the federal city. Sure. 
They didn't, they didn't like that because states could interfere with Congress. Now, that concern is probably less today than it was before, but there was also the symbolism of having a city that belongs, that is governed by no state, that is, that is our own as a nation, like Congress itself, like the White House, the District of Columbia belongs to the nation. Now, that symbolism, you could argue, doesn't outweigh the voting rights of citizens. Well, let's have that debate. Let's have that discussion. But what the House leadership is trying to do is to avoid any real debate. They don't want to submit this as a constitutional amendment because they know it will fail. Polls show that the public does not support the 51st state uh, um, of, of Douglas. You know, they don't support this concept. So they stopped trying. Originally, they tried. They had a campaign. It failed. The public didn't want it. So now they're trying to get this done only through Congress with literally 51 votes to get the 51st state by 51 votes, even though a majority of Americans oppose it. It's, a, it's amazing because in our past, when we got when we added states to our country, we always were careful to balance it. Sadly, it was slave free, and then it was Republican, Democrat, Alaska, and Hawaii. And now we're not making any effort here. It is every man for himself at this point, the desperation for both parties, but mainly the Democrats to get their way at any cost is stunning to me. Well, what's really, I think, even worse is that when you add a state to the union, it needs to be a consensus. I you need to so. have a strong yeah. level of support. You don't do it when most citizens oppose it. And this is part of, I think, the agenda that we're seeing out of the House is that, you know, they're not really that concerned about where the American people stand on some of these issues. This is all a muscle play to get you know, the results or get control of the Congress and sort of leave the broken China for some other, you know, day. And you're so level-headed. And when I hear you and the passion in your voice on stuff like this, you're almost, for you, it's flabbergasted. You know, it's about what's going on in this country and the speed in which it's happening is unbelievable from, uh, from packing the court to making D.C. a state. And the goal was, according to Chad Pergram, our great congressional reporter, is to well up so many items uh, in the Senate that there'll be such pressure on Cinema and Manchin to give in on the filibuster that they'll let the floodgates in, especially if it looks like they're about to lose everything in the midterms. And we'll see if that's going to be effective, Jonathan. Final thought? Well, I, I agree that this is all so much political kabuki, but the irony is that the losers will be the residents of the district. There are options here. There are ways to improve not just their representational status, but their lives. You know, the District of Columbia has had a terrible record in governance. There can be real changes here that benefit from them, but they don't really have the same political benefit that the leadership is demanding. It's about the two Senate seats. Uh, Professor Jonathan Turley, thanks so much. Thank you. All right. You got it. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West at the bottom of the hour. Good news. You'll have a chance to speak now. 1-866-408-7669. Do you agree with LeBron's tweet essentially condemning and putting a bullseye on the police officer with a full shot of his face? Now it's deleted. He says it was deleted because he was bringing in too much hate. Do you think he did the right thing? I know. I know he didn't do the right thing, but I'm open to your opinion. Next. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Cartels have operational control of our border, period. Anybody who's following it knows that. Tamaulipas, the state right across the border from Texas, is run by the dangerous cartels, the Reynosa faction of the Gulf Cartel, and the Cartel del Noreste of Los Zetas. Uh, They are using human beings as shields for profit. This is happening. The most powerful nation in the world, we're allowing this to occur. And Democrats refuse to do anything about it. Kamala Harris has been, quote, on the job for a month. Literally, she has done nothing. She's not gone to the border. She's done nothing to address this. It's amazing, too. Uh, because, and that, of course, was Chip Roy of Texas. If you don't remember, you hear the passion. You probably uh, know the voice. You don't know exactly who he's referring to. But he's got a border crisis. He won't admit it. He let it slip out. And Jen Psaki said the president misspoke. It's not a crisis. We know that's not true. Kamala Harris is going to New Hampshire. No plans yet to go to the southern border. Says in January, excuse me, in June, she's going to go to a northern triangle country, most likely Guatemala. She said that on Monday that she's going to call next week and do a virtual meeting with Guatemala on Monday. She hasn't picked out the triangle country she'd go to. And she might stop in Mexico. Have you ever seen Seen anything like this. Remember when Joe Biden made this announcement, cut 18. But I've asked her, uh, the VP today, because she's the most qualified person to do it, to lead our efforts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. <laughs> His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. With uh, Mexico and the Northern Triangle, and I can think of nobody who uh, is better qualified to do this. When she speaks, she speaks for me, doesn't have to check with me. She knows what she's doing. She has done nothing. I have never seen anything like this. I've seen a majority leader not work with the opposing party president. I've seen speakers not work with another party president. I've never seen a vice president do nothing when told directly she is in control of the border crisis. 
that's my words, operation. So what has she done since March 24th when she was given this portfolio? April 14th, uh, the vice president hosted an online roundtable. We know that she promised she made a couple of calls out to Guatemala. What else did she do? And she might be going to Mexico. Perhaps. No interest in going to the border. No plans to go to the border. She said that's Homeland Security Secretary uh, Mayorkas' deal. No. The president told you to do it. When Obama told Biden to do it, he actually did it. Or whatever he did, he took action at least. Listen, when we come back, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West will talk about this and systemic racism. He grew up in a blacks-only hospital and feels differently than the president. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. No President Biden. No Vice President Harris. Not a single member of the administration has paid us a visit here in Yuma, or any of Arizona's other border cities. President Biden, you should declare a national emergency. But he won't. He, he called it a crisis, and his Jen Psaki, his press secretary, made him walk it back. He said the president misspoke when he called it a crisis. Of course it's a crisis. Look at the numbers. Look at the lack of facilities. Look at the way they're greenlighting people right in. You've seen the sheriffs. You've saw that Will Kane report today. You've probably seen reports a month ago from the other networks, but they dropped the ball. We didn't. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, senior fellow at Media Research Center, uh, joins us now. Uh, Colonel, uh, there's a desperation with the governor of Arizona, the same one we heard in Texas uh, over the last few weeks. What's going on here? What's the disconnect? Well, there there is no real disconnect for the left because they're doing exactly what they wanted to do, and it's a pleasure to be with you, Brian. They wanted to have an open borders policy, and they have uh, gotten that gone by executive order and basically by telling ICE and Customs and Border Patrol agents that they're not going to do anything, getting rid of the Remain in Mexico policy, reinstituting the catch-and-release policy. You know, again, here in Dallas, where I live, you have three to 4,000 illegal immigrant males in the K. Bailey Hutchinson Convention Center brought in under the cover of darkness in blacked-out buses. We have a county here in the state of Texas, Kenny County, that just yesterday uh, issued a state of emergency for their county. And so I, I, I hear what has happened in Arizona, but uh, again, sending 250 National Guard troops to the border, that's not going to do it. The same thing in Texas, 500, that's not going to do it. You need a full mobilization of your National Guard. We are fighting against a terrorist organization. That's what these cartels are. And uh, it's sad to say, but we have elected officials now that are aiding and abetting human and sex trafficking. The the cartels are making millions of dollars over this lack of enforcement of our border right. security. And I think it's going to get to the point where the counties are going to start stepping up and doing what is necessary, especially our sheriffs. So Kamala Harris says, I'll probably go into one of the Triangle countries in June, in June, and yeah. she'll do a virtual call next week. Today she goes to New Hampshire. How did she get away with this? So I'm watching a report on ABC this morning on the network show, you know, the overnight uh, network show, and they say they pull out two boys under 10 who were just nestled on the side of the Rio Grande River. They were left there, and the Border Patrol in, in waist-high water grabs them, puts them on the boat, and know what they report? They say these two boys are saved. In June, the vice president will go visit Guatemala. 
Are they missing the story? If that was Trump, the president of the United States and vice president continue to ignore the crisis at the border. An example of the humanitarian cost on children is X, Y, and Z. They re- they, if they do report the story, they do it in such a benign way as if it's some point of interest in a Main Street USA where two young boys got lost from their parents. These boys were 9,000 miles with drug uh, members of a drug cartel and were left to, to drown on the side of a river. That's the story. Well, but that's the story that we see. But the story for the duplicitous hypocrisy of the leftist media, which is just a propaganda arm of the Democrat Party and the Biden administration, is exactly what they reported. So for them, they're not doing anything wrong. They're not going to report what is going on. They're not going to show the American people, uh, although we know what is happening, but they're going to do everything they possibly can to cover for the Biden administration. Uh, And again, and again, when you see how they are crammed into these spaces, when we know that we are releasing people into into our communities here in Texas who have tested positive for COVID, but yet you're still trying to tell us that we need to restrain our movements and we need to have a vaccine passport and things of this nature. Come on, man, as yeah. Mr. Biden would say. Right, exactly. Even in the Atlantic and some left-wing magazines like the New Republic are saying, why are you telling us to wear a mask outdoors? Why are you saying what, continue to wear a mask once you're vaccinated? I'm watching another morning show on, an, on MSNBC, and they're talking about how ridiculous it is that Joe Biden's sending the wrong message. He's given a speech with no one in the room and the vice president 10 feet away with a mask on. Take it off. What are you doing? That's not responsible. You want me to go get vaccinated on a brand new vaccine, which maybe I'm not comfortable with, and you get vaccinated and you're so comfortable, you never stop wearing two masks. But I digress. What bothers me, too, and I think this is an apt analogy. You tell me if I'm wrong. You might love your kids, and if you love your kids, you want them to be happy. So you let them go to the mall at 12 years old and stay out till 1 o'clock in the morning because they asked nice. That's not being a good parent. you got to make tough decisions to put discipline and look at the long term. They keep saying that the president has a more humanitarian approach to the border because they will not turn around an unaccompanied minor. That is so ridiculous because what you're saying to the other minors and the other kids in other countries, uh, come, come one, come all, because you can stay. And that's what got under Stephen Miller's skin who helped set up the president's immigration policy. Cut 24. Look at what's happening on the border right now. Look at one year ago and look at today. One year ago during the pandemic, look at the border under President Trump. Safe, humane, orderly, responsible, healthy. Look at the border today and then ask yourself, whose policies are humane? Whose policies are pro-immigrant? How is what Joe Biden is doing right now pro-immigrant? Immigrants are being brutalized by cartels. Immigrants are being viciously attacked by smugglers and coyotes. And the immigrant communities in Texas and in Arizona are bearing the economic brunt of this uncontrolled border surge. Your response to the two policies? Well, he's absolutely right. I mean, think about it. We did not see any pictures of a coyote dropping a five and six year old little girl's uh, what eight or nine feet, uh, ten feet uh, from from a, a border wall down in the El Paso zone. So 
it's very clear what we see happening. But again, it comes back to the change in the policies. Everything that has that had to do with President Trump had to be uh, gotten rid of by executive order. And even the president of Mexico has said that the change in the oh, policies, yeah. Mr. Biden, is this is uh, you know due to your your fault, your cause. And so now he has said to everyone. It's open borders. Just come on in. And so the cartels are now saying, you know, pay us the money and we'll get you up here. And they don't care about these people. We we have seen that. They're leaving kids to drown, as you just talk about. They are they are abandoning people you know, on this trek coming coming across, and they're sexually abusing a lot of these little uh, boys and girls as they're coming across. So there's nothing humane about what is happening now. And the fact that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have still not come to a 1,200-mile border state like Texas. That's very telling. How how long have you been in a war zone? How many months, weeks? Well, think about it. Uh, 30 years ago, I was in Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm. I was there for six months. I was in Iraq for a year back in 2003, and I was in Afghanistan for two and a half years. That's how we first met doing interviews from Afghanistan. Yeah, and you were a private contractor, too. So you know there were split-second decisions that happened in war that you had to have uh, people in your command and you had to report to your command when you make decisions. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm just stunned how many people like myself who don't go to the police academy, have never been there and haven't been to Afghanistan or Iraq, who are making judgments on this police officer in Columbus, Ohio, who gets called because a woman has a knife, a, a teen has a knife, and she's calling for help. They're coming at me with a knife. He shows up, and this wood, this 16-year-old's about to stab a 17-year-old, and the cop comes on the scene, says, get down, and he shoots her. She tries to revive her, but she passes away. People like LeBron James tweet out a picture of the officer and write underneath it, you're next. He deletes it. But my goodness, this guy's got 50 million followers. What is he saying? And what has happened to this country when a, when a police officer goes to a scene, called there, responds to save one person's life, and gets blamed for the other? Well, it's a damned if you do and damned if you don't. Imagine the police officer shows up and he doesn't take any action whatsoever. Then the police officer is going to be blamed for not uh, protecting a life. Now the police officer does take action to protect a life. And now you have some person like LeBron James putting out a tweet out there when he had no uh, information, complete information about the issue. And this is the problem with these corporate, these cultural, these entertainment elites that continue to jump in and provide us their opinions when we don't really need them. They're putting uh, police officers' lives in danger. They don't understand the policies that are going on. Our police are supposed to be there to serve and protect the communities, to provide safety and security. But yet you see these folks that want to eradicate our police. You see them want to hamstring our police. I think I just heard recently uh, that now the if you're going to go into a foot chase in Chicago, you have to ask for permission. How stupid is that? Yeah, the Mayor Lightfoot has promised to disclose new details about a policy, police policy, quote, no one should die as a result of a foot chase. Oh, really? Okay. Police methods have faced new scrutiny. So now they're putting to the test and putting it to a vote whether you have to call back to base to get permission to chase somebody. Really? If they grab your wallet, if you get held up, if they, uh, if they mug you, uh, there's a cop on the scene, but I got sorry, I got to call back to the base to see if I can catch that guy who already has a two block lead on me. Now, understand this. You talked about being in combat. 
That's what we call a rule of engagement. So when the enemy knows your rules of engagement, guess what you just did? You just gave them the initiative. You just gave them a gap by which they can exploit you. So now criminals in Chicago are going to understand that I can do something and I can take off running. And I'm going to probably get at least, you know, a quarter mile, half a mile separation before anyone comes after me because they're going to have to call in and ask for, you know, the permission to engage me. Just the same as what we did to our troops and saying that they had to wait to be shot and fired upon before they could return fire. This is how crazy things are getting. Yeah, President Trump straightened that out. The city alderman, this guy Brian Hopkins, told the Fox affiliate that city police already need permission from a supervisor to launch a vehicle chase. Now it would be a supervisor's green light to do a foot chase. Good luck with that. You think I'm going to go chase down somebody without qualified immunity and then wonder if that person's going to throw their gun away at the last second because he had a gun when I saw him? By the time I got to him, he threw it away, and then I end up in jail? Forget it. You go. Good luck. You go run away. You guys keep hamstringing the police and demand more from them. Uh, Your police are asked to be in everybody's parent and extended family, and it's not happening. Uh, So far, I thought it was pretty interesting. LeBron James comes out and says, again, I'm tired of seeing black people die at the hands of police. Okay. What about the 93% of of African-Americans who are murdered by other African-Americans? Where's his outrage then? 93%. Well, that's the whole thing. When someone comes up and says to you, Black Lives Matter, you just ask them, which black lives? The the, the, the gang-on-gang violence in black communities, the fact that since Roe versus Wade, 1973, 20 million black babies have been murdered in the womb. What about those lives? What about the lives of the black kids who can't get a quality education because the teachers' unions won't allow them to come back and go to school, and most of them can't get Internet into their homes? So those lives seemingly don't matter. It's these politicized lives. But again, let's go back to Columbus, Ohio, and understand something. That young lady, that 16-year-old young lady, yes. made an adult decision to pick up a weapon and attempt to kill another individual. So in our society where there's a rule of law, we don't want to see people doing those type of things. And sadly, she lost her life. And she was about to stab another black teenager. Absolutely. Unbelievable. And then that's a that's a reason why the Ohio State student body no longer wants Columbus police on their campus. Well, just remember that it was the uh, police that shot uh, an Islamic jihadist a few years ago who uh, ran his uh, his vehicle into some students and got out with a knife, and it was a police officer that shot that Islamic jihadist. So maybe they want to also have the jihadists to be able to, uh, you know, wantonly run them down in cars and stab them as well. Unbelievable. It's a, it's a fascinating and frustrating time. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Take care, Brian. You got it. He's chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. When we come back, your calls, 1-866-408-7669. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. That bill would make it so dangerous to be a police officer and so dangerous for our communities. Just look at the fact that it would open up police officers to more lawsuits from the very criminals that they are arresting to protect our communities. The last thing we need to do is make it even harder to police our streets in America at a time when we see a crime wave crashing across America cities. And that was Tom Cotton talking about qualified immunity, part of the uh, George Floyd uh, law enforcement reform. And I cannot see uh, the name of anyone in law enforcement, maybe Val Demings, who has a, has a history in law enforcement, maybe putting some input into that. But Will is listening on WRCN. Hey, Will. Yes, Brian. How are you? Good. Thanks for taking my call. I come from a family of uh, of cops, uh, and we used to have a, a comment uh, uh, saying in police that um, if you don't want us there, you know, as of right now, they don't want police responding to active shooters or knife knifings or whatever. We'll arrest the winner, no problem. We'll come and pick up the pieces later on. Yeah, yeah. that that's what they want. So when you say defund the police and, uh, you know, Columbus, Ohio, the students picketing saying, I don't want any of the Columbus police on campus. Good. You are now forbidden to call 911 because they don't want to get confused and show up someplace where they're not wanted. So when you have an emergency, you're stuck on the side of the road. When they're when uh, when crime is hitting you or somebody, you know, do it. Handle it yourself because you can't have it exactly. both ways. They called 911 because there was a woman with a knife. He shows up and there's a woman with a knife and you're upset the guy takes action. They're going to do their own investigation anyway without help from Nancy Pelosi. Eric, listen on WOKV. Hey, Eric. Hey, Brian. Great show today. Uh, you brought up LeBron James. Yep. Uh, he he skipped college and yet he called Americans uneducated. Uh, he talked about sacrifice. Well, I'd like to use your show to pay tribute to a true hero who sacrificed everything. This 1997 defensive lineman of the year, Pat Tillman, left the St. Louis Cardinals' great career, and he became a Green Beret, and he gave his life 17 years ago today in a province of Afghanistan named Sparrow. Big difference. And, uh, yeah, and, well, huge difference. And honorable mention to a San Francisco 49er, Glenn Coffey. He's still alive, but he gave up a career to go and serve in the Army, too. And... Pat Tillman was is a true hero in my life, but he he didn't have to do any of this. He gave up. I mean, how do you know how hard it is to become defensive lineman of the year? He gave that up for me, yeah, and for you, and for all the back, listeners yeah. here, and for Nancy Pelosi. Thanks, Thank Eric. You, Pat. No, I appreciate it. I I also have an email from somebody else listening on WOKV. Uh, they're happy with the show. Uh, they say I have a 24-year-old daughter as a police officer, and I worry about her as it is. It's ridiculous. Celebrities are making me sick. We raised our kids to treat everyone with dignity and respect just as we are raised. LeBron James can spout his filth. Nancy Pelosi can say the most irrational things. Joe Biden has no clue what's going on. It brings a whole new level of worry for police officers in general. She went to a liberal school and kept her conservative values with a lot of pressure. The thing that really bugs me is there's no way to even talk back with these idiots. They get a forum because they are Hollywood or because they are celebrities. That is Mike. Appreciate the call. Absolutely. Also, I want to end on a positive note. I just got this text message from one of our sponsors is uh, is LifeVac. And they've saved LifeVac is this thing. It looks like a plunger. Instead of doing the Heimlich, you do the LifeVac. Somebody else live was saved. They're well over 100 now. Uh, and they are uh, something for everybody to get. Go to lifevac.com, V-A-C. 
Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Uh, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And according to unofficial reports from Pete, Eric, and Allison, the fastest growing show in the country. Right, guys? You're going to confirm that? I took a poll of uh, the spine of our staff. You guys head up our staff. Uh, that is what you feel, right, Pete? I, I stand by what I what I say, you know, my the backing of this in, informal poll that you picked. Which I take as formal. Because that's the type of relationship we have. We have an informal, formal relationship. Uh, I do believe Susan Page is going to be on with us. She's a very respected Washington reporter from the USA Today who did a biography on Nancy Pelosi. We'll get on the inside story on why she ripped up the State of the Union, which uh, was flat-out classless. She tells us a story that I don't buy, but Susan Page is a great reporter, and I look forward to hearing about her and her book and where we're heading in Washington as everything has been turned on its head, from packing the court to making Washington, D.C. a state. Besides that, not much is happening. Uh, and also, by the way, systemic racism guides our country, the foundation we're laid on. That's the story in Washington these days, which I'm not buying into. Chris Wallace, also with a special anniversary, will be with us shortly. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If we give in to this, America will change as we know it. They will destroy the independence of the judiciary, making D.C. a state as just an unbelievable power grab. So we have an ability to deny them a quorum by not simply not showing up. I'm willing to do that. Wow. Can you imagine if it comes to that? The Republicans don't show up in order to stop the packing of the court and making D.C. a state. The Bernie Biden agenda is really all about Bernie Sanders. America voted for Joe Biden, but we have Bernie's socialist agenda. The latest example, D.C. statehood, a boneheaded idea, but is now a bill will pass the House. There was a reason why Bernie didn't get the nomination. America didn't want him. Now we're getting his policies. Pressure mounts to kill the filibusters to implement those policies. Number two. No President Biden, no Vice President Harris, not a single member of the administration has paid us a visit here in Yuma or any of Arizona's other border cities. President Biden, you should declare a national emergency. Wow, refusing to help desperate governors on the border demand aid for unrelenting surge at the border. The VP, given the assignment in March, shows utter disinterest, promising a triangle visit next month. She's going to New Hampshire today, has a Zoom call next week. I've never seen such insubordination to a president. Number one. Just as America was hopeful of a step forward after the traumatic and exhausting trial of Derek Chauvin and the verdict that was reached. So our focus is on um, working to address systemic racism and implicit, implicit bias head on. Fantastic. Policing in America, first and foremost, a reset requires law enforcement respect. On deck is reform. What is Congress working on? Are cops on board? Meanwhile, in Columbus, Ohio, a simmering feud there as a police-involved shooting is being investigated. A 16-year-old was about to stab another 16-year-old and was shot dead before she could strike. LeBron James irresponsibly weighs in. But first... 
And now it's time to clear the airwaves for the esteemed big guy. You are to refer to me only as the big guy going forward. Well, okay? Fox News Sunday. You got that little smirk on your face. You think you're so clever. Celebrating 25 years of Fox News Sunday broadcast excellence. Welcome back to Fox News Sunday. What is your jacket made of? Burlap? I have here the indictment from the special counsel, Robert Mueller. May I give this to you to look at, sir? Here? No, please, please. The host of the Emmy-nominated, hard-hitting news magazine. Do you think it's just a coincidence? Of course, it's a coincidence. If two events occur side by side, like the rooster crows and then the sun rises, it's a coincidence that the sun rises after the rooster crows. Chris Wallace. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, you know, do you want to use that montage for your for your twenty fifth anniversary show? Honestly, I was going to say we have spent weeks <laughs> preparing for our twenty fifth anniversary. <laughs> I'm going to throw it all out and use yours. Thank you. I mean that was that was fantastic. I particularly like the string section, the violins. I mean, do you have? You know, when I worked at NBC, uh, WNBC TV in yeah. the seventies, there was the place where they used to do, or they still do, Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Then where uh, Arturo Toscanini had the NBC Symphony Orchestra. Does, is there the Brian Kilmeade Symphony Orchestra with the big string section there? There is, uh, but with the pandemic, they, they zoom in it. So they, they practice separately, the cello and the violinist, as well as uh, a viola. We have a viola as well a viola. as a violinist. Viola is a smaller I always like French horns. Right. Uh, it's hard to get a French horn player in a pandemic, but I've always told that uh, from my... My dad was really into music. If you are a French horn player, you are tackling the most difficult instrument. Well, that's why I brought it up. Right. What do you mean your dad was really into music? What what did your dad do for a living? Well, my dad ended up being a chemist, but he had a shot of going to Juilliard because he was a great clarinet and saxophone player. And I I got none of his ability. Well, sometimes I used to practice, and he would come out of the bathroom and goes, what are you trying to play? And that was really because I could play the mu- I could play the notes, but I couldn't do the music. My brother could do the music. He was a great. I thought he could have been great, but well, we what, never what, had what his ability. What instrument did you play? I played the clarinet just to get the girls because girls love clarinet players. It's something about the woodwinds. <laughs> I got Chris. I I got I, something. There's I, so many things I could say, but you know, I'd get us both fired and. Right. I'm, I'm serving 25 years of Fox News Sunday. I'm going to hang on here for a while. I got another story on something you said, Tuscanini. So get this. Yes. My grandfather worked at, my mom's father, worked at Meyerowitz in Manhattan. I think it was on 57th Street. And he, had, he used to, he did Grace Kelly's glasses, and he did Tuscanini's glasses. He had to work out glasses that pinched the nose, and he used to get yes. front row seats. And it was up to my grandfather to come out with glasses because he didn't want anything to wrap around his ears. Uh, and he would sit there and sweat out every concert, hoping with the gyrations of his head the glasses didn't fly off because all fingers would point back to him. And that would be bad. Arturo Tuscanini, I mean, you, you realize we're, you, first of all, you're too young. You weren't even alive when Tuscanini was performing. True. He, I, I was. And uh, he, he was this fantastic white-haired musical genius, and he was very theatrical. He would swing his head, and the idea that these pince-nez glasses would, uh, would, would stay on, man, I, 
I mean, you think we had high pre- we have high pressure jobs? Can you imagine your grandfather? Right, worrying and, that these glasses are going to go clatter down, and then Tuscanese gets to turn and look at your grandfather in the front row and point his baton at him. That would not have been good. Chris, now let me ask you something. I don't hang in yes, circles sir. that talk about orchestras, but you do. So please tell me. I know this is going to happen. About a month or two, you're going to be out with other people that go to see other symphonies, and you're going to use my Tuscanini story, and I want you to. Bring it back here and tell me how that resonated. I know a guy who has a grandfather that actually made Tuscanini's glasses stay on his nose. You are going to be the hit of that dinner party, and I would love to know I played a role in that. Uh, good. I Absolutely. The next time that I tell the Pinsnez story about Brian Kilmeade's grandfather, I will report back to you on what exactly the crowd said. They may burst into applause. Right. Or they might say, Brian who? I think that's those are the two possibilities. I don't even want you to use my name. Just say I have a friend. Just say I have a friend. No, you want me to use your name. You, everything's about your name. You love it. Right. Chris, I have nope. something else to add to this story. Yes, sir. Okay. We have, uh, when he passed away, uh, his wife mailed uh, my family his glasses. Yes. So we have Tuscanini's glasses in my family. Well, well, wait, wait. Did did Tuscanini's wife mailed them or your grandfather's wife? Well, no, Tuscanini's wife mailed them to my grandfather since passed away, passed away in the 60s, and now they're in our family right now. And where are they? I would assume my brother has them, my older brother has them. We have them in our family. So here's what I want you to do. Yes. Because this won't work well on the radio. Tomorrow, the next, on Monday, I want you to come on to Fox and Friends wearing Tuscanini's pink nose <laughs> glasses. I, I, I can't want you do to that. do that. Just at, just at the end. Could buy it, 858, 859, and I want you to tell this story. Right, but Chris, nobody would care on Fox and Friends. I have a high-end radio audience, much more sophisticated we're, than we're my TV much, We're a higher-end group. Yes. No, they're a bunch of Philistines. We, uh, we're <laughs> culture. Right, Philistines different than the Corinthians. Either way, they're both <laughs> yeah. in the Bible. There you go. Right. Wow. Do we have any time left? Um, <laughs> probably not. I, I, do have, uh, I do have a question. I, just, I know we're going to talk about it next week. Do we have a, no, we're probably not going to talk about it next week. This is a perfect week. Chris, how hard did you work on the 25th anniversary show? And what did you think as you look back? Because Tony Snow started it. You picked up the mantle after. He actually took this show over when he left. He started this show when he left your show, to, and you took over for him. What are your reflections on, on something like this when you look back to the clips? Um, we've had a hell of a time. It's uh, You know, I've been in this business, I hate to say it, 50 years a half century and this is probably the most fun i've ever had in this business covering ronald reagan for six years was a great assignment but you know what a wonderful and i'm sure you feel this about fox and friends what a wonderful forced education i mean over the course of of i've done it now 17 and a half of the 25 years you know i've interviewed every president in that period of time including a few before i came on like clinton and bush 40 41. Uh, I've, you know, had as you had the clip of me with uh, with Putin and uh, the president of Iran and in the Elysee Palace with the president of France, uh, you know, covered, uh, done debates, uh, covered conventions. You know, it's just and I picked this up from my father. I, you know, people say, oh, well, what's it like being Mike Wallace's son? I just looked at this job and I thought people get paid to go around the world and talk to interesting people and and learn interesting stories and be an eyewitness to history. What a great darn way 
to make a living. And I felt that when I started in 1969 as a cub reporter at the Boston Globe, and I feel it today, uh, you know, on the 25th anniversary of Fox News Sunday. And, and you know what? Uh, I've always, you've always said that from day one, uh, from when we barely even knew each other. You say, I just feel so lucky to have this job. And I'm saying to myself, wow, you've already had network jobs, but what this allows you to be at the cutting edge of news. And what happened is I think you're doing the network, you're on the number one cable show, number one cable network, and then you're on the network doing this. And you're also uh, on the cutting edge of what's happening in the world. So you want the answers in real life. So I, would, I always say to myself, I always say to people, and they say, what's it like having your job? I say, you understand, if I worked in a deli, I would still be focusing on what's going on in the news. So to be able to be at a job, which is your number one hobby, is a weird coming together of two worlds, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm a political junkie. I'm fascinated by who's up and who's down and what's happening yeah. and what's not. And, you know, uh, uh, look at this week. And, you know, one week it's going to be infrastructure. And another week it's going to be foreign policy. And this week it's policing and racial uh, disparities in, in the country. And, and you know, it's all just fascinating to me, endlessly fascinating. And to get to talk to, you know, the key newsmakers, the key decision right. makers, wow, what a, what a privilege it's been. And here, here's what I really like about your show is that you always make it – if you're going to come on your show, you're going to be uncomfortable at some point in the interview. At some point, you're going to have the rub. So if Pelosi's on, the, here's the rub about what you're doing. If the president's on, here's the thing that's going to make you uncomfortable. So they kind of stop that because I watch all the Sunday shows because for this show in particular, we try to pride ourselves on getting a diversity of, of sound and interviews. They kind of stop that. You come on the show. This is where you have to say, here's what the other person has to say. On your interviews, I don't know how you pre- prepare or your staff prepares. It's always like, okay, now this is what you wanted to say. Now here's what you're going to have to defend. That's your approach, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, that's exactly right. And my feeling is, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of your listeners think, oh, well, you know, he's tougher on Republicans. I'm not. I'm, I'm just as tough on all sides. And you're exactly right. I understand why they're coming on. I'm going to give them a chance to say it. But they've got a big staff. They've got talking points. They've got a script. At some point, I'm going to challenge that script and try to get you off, not as a gotcha, but let's let's get serious here. Let's get real. Let's have a serious conversation. And there's, you know, there's something that you're going to have to have to defend. And, I, and I'm going to push back on not because I'm advocating one way or the other, but I figure you got you got a lot of people telling your story. I'm going to try to get you to confront what the real story is. And here's the other thing that people don't understand. If you have the answer, you this is your chance to shine. So if you oh, absolutely. You know, people say, well, he beat you. I, I, it's not a competition. If, the, if, if at the end of the interview, the guy, you know, has the, the guy or the gal, the man or woman uh, has just done great. I'm not unhappy. I'm thrilled. I, I, I just want him to to react in re- and think in real time. And let's let's discuss the, the underlying issue here. So is the whole show going to be a, a retrospective? It's just going to be me, and, and we'll actually play some clips. No. Uh, oh. Here's the funny thing. So it's the 25th anniversary, silver anniversary. Incidentally, have you shopped at Tiffany's for me yet? Not yet. Okay. But, you know, I expect I'm worried something. About, I'm worried more. about the you pandemic. Know, or or I, Tuscanini's glasses. <laughs> I, would, I would very much appreciate those. I, I love memorabilia. Anyway, so we've got Kevin McCarthy, the House Republican leader, 
Uh, we're going to have two of the originals from, the, from Fox News Sunday, Britt Hume and Juan Williams. We've got a great piece looking back at the highlights of 25 years, Tony Snow and me. Uh, and we're waiting for a lead guest from the White House. And here it is uh, on Thursday. So, uh, you know, life, life goes on. You'll have it for Friday's uh, promos. Uh, Chris, congratulations. You do a great job every week, and I always love it when you come on. Seriously, congratulations. Thank you, Brian. All right. And, again, the Tuscanini story, another example of what happens sometimes on our segments. I never thought I'd be talking about my grandfather's business, but we were. I appreciate it. Chris Wallace, thank you. Uh, Back in a moment. And if you want to attract women at a young age, pick up the clarinet. Even if you don't love music, because when you could tell a woman that you could put your instrument together and then put it away and, you know, you, you know, you know what you're doing. Celebrating 10 years. Wait, has it really been that long? As usual, you've made it all about yourself. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Only got a few minutes, 1-866-408-7669. A lot of people uh, are writing just about what LeBron James said. And I will say this, we know how great he is and and how hard he works. And at 34 years old, to play that good is stunning, even though he's hurt right now, and to bring championship after championship, I get it. He did it out of high school. We know he had a single uh, single parent situation, and he's uh, exceeded all expectations. And people can argue all they want if he's better than Jordan. I don't think he is, but that's a different story. But with the activism, although I admire people that take action in their community and he's built schools and he's had an impact, I do think he's hurt the league. And I think the league has hurt themselves. If you look at the ratings in the league, as you weigh in on situations you know little about, because I don't believe he's even interested, like, for example, Shaquille O'Neal is, uh, in law enforcement and the, the men and women in blue. 40% ratings have dropped on TNT 40% they've dropped on ABC, 20% they've dropped on ESPN. We know around the league, and they have a big social media presence, but people are afraid to go up to these guys, and they're afraid to say, hey, listen, you want to rein it back in. I'm shocked he even deleted the tweet that he put out, and what he said, the reason why he deleted the tweet sounds dramatically insincere. It says, well, I don't want my tweets to create more hate, and that's what this has done. You put a target on a police officer with knowing almost nothing about the case. Just assume that a police officer showed up and just started shooting teenagers who happened to be black. That wasn't the case. Just like it's not the case, that it's not okay that the New York Times left the fact that he had, and the Washington Post, had a knife out of the story. Not okay. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Are you ready to say Pelosi and Schumer need to go? I mean, I I, I think so. I mean, and we... We need to to shift power. We need to make sure that we have a transition of power in the leadership of the Democratic Party. And that was just a little of the squad maybe getting under Speaker Pelosi's skin. That was July 11th, 2019. Um, uh, talking about it, excuse me, that was December of 2020, talking about it may be a time for a new leadership uh, in the House and the Senate. 
After all, these are older. This is the oldest leadership I can remember. And uh, she's one of the youngest. And that continues to be a theme of late is uh, the squad and their influence on on the speaker. Uh, these are all Democrats, believe it or not. Susan Page knows all about it. She's the Washington Bureau uh, chief of USA Today. But she's now the author of a best-selling book. The next one is, and the latest one is, just in, Madam Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. Susan, welcome back. Congratulations. Hey, Brian, it's so good to be back with you. I cannot believe the way you pump out these books. The Matriarch, a comprehensive, Matriarch, the comprehensive look at Barbara Bush and the making of an American dynasty. And now you, you wait the right there. And now you were kind of in the middle right. And now you're to the left with uh, Speaker Pelosi. First off, why tackle her? You know, she had some qualities that reminded me of Barbara Bush in that she's been very consequential. She's made a difference. You can like what she's done or not, but you can't argue she hasn't had an impact on our country. And the other thing is, especially when I started this book, I thought she had not kind of gotten the credit she deserved in in terms of being influential, hadn't uh, gotten the credit that she deserved in pushing through the Affordable Care Act, for instance. So it seems to me that she was uh, it was a good she, she was a good person to take a look at. Now, after four years of Donald Trump, she's gotten a little more credit among Democrats. She became really the face of the Democratic opposition. Uh, But I thought she would be interesting and complicated to look at, and she was. Uh, True. You talked to 150 people. You talked to her 10 separate times. You talked about her loosening up gradually along the way. But I played that clip to come in because the first time you sat down with her for this book, uh, the chief of staff for Alexander Ocasio-Cortez had just tweeted out, Uh, something about her, kind of a challenge to her. And he got under her skin a little bit, and then she had to basically fire him eventually. He went over to a think tank, and she kind of apologized to AOC. What's her relationship with the squad? It's complicated. Uh, you know, she's, she has, a, an, I think, an up-and-down relationship with the Scott, squad, and especially Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in particular. In the clip you played, it's really emblematic. Uh, they've been, you know, I think uh, AOC is ready for a new generation of leadership of House Democrats. The three top Democrats in the House are all in their 80s, and they've been in power uh, for a decade and more. Um, so there is, I think, some pressure for a new generation. And yet Nancy Pelosi continues to have what amounts to a very strong grip on that caucus, as AOC found out when her chief of staff challenged her in that way. And what people say, you know, I did not know that she got into politics in her 40s. I know her dad was into it. I remember he was the one who dedicated uh, one of those uh, Confederate statues in Baltimore, in Maryland, one of the, in those days. Now we're at big controversy on should you have any at all uh, up uh, commemorating the, the Civil War. But why did she wait till her 40s? Well, she says she never, never occurred to her to go into elective office, but she had been she had never really been outside of politics. You know, when she was born, her dad was a member of Congress from Baltimore, and then he, when she was seven, he be, was elected to the first of three terms as. Mayor of Baltimore, T- Big Tommy Delisandro. He was a, a, a really a larger than life figure, a friend of FDR. He, in fact, named his second son Franklin Delano Roosevelt Delisandro, which is a which is a mouthful. So she grew up in a political household, but she always saw herself as someone who did organizing and fundraising, not someone who actually ran for office. She didn't run for office until she was 46 years old. And the woman who had held the congressional seat in San Francisco, Sally Burton, on her deathbed encouraged Nancy Pelosi to take the plunge. She did in the 40s after being a mom of five. 
uh, this is the moment that backs up her statement that her dad always told her, if you, get, if, you, if you can get power, seize it. Cut 34. The first woman speaker in our history, the gentlelady from California, Nancy Pelosi. I accept this gavel in the spirit of partnership, not partisanship. Wow. So she did. She made history. She would lose that speakership. But many people say she's one of the chief culprits in the partisanship that exists in for my lifetime. Uh, more to uh, more defined than any time else since I've been paying attention to politics. Does she play? Does she culpable at all in that? Well, she's a pretty fierce partisan. There's no question about that. And if you talk to some of her allies, they'll say she is a master of dealing with a hyperpartisan uh, time with a hyperpartisan Congress. If you mm-hmm. talk to some of her critics, they'll say she didn't do enough to make it not so partisan, didn't do enough to reach across the aisle. Um, she's, she is very uh, adept at dealing with this world in which she found. You know, the other thing that is a kind of similar point to make about her, she is the top fundraiser in Congress. No congressional leader has ever raised the kind of money she has. On the other hand, her critics would say she didn't do much to reduce the power of big money in American politics. So two sides to that coin. Right. So she lost it, uh, the speakership, and stuck around in the minority, which is, which is unprecedented in modern politics. Why did she stick around? Uh, she's, you know, she considered uh, stepping down in 2010 when, when Democrats lost control of the House. And uh, I think she did seriously think about it. But uh, Richard Trumpka, the head of the AFL-CIO, told me that he was one of several allies of her who called her and said, you can't step down. It's important for you to stay in the leadership while we try to get the majority back. And that's what she eventually decided to do. But you're right. No one has done that, has gone from the minority to the majority to the minority back to the majority. No House Speaker since Sam Rayburn. It is really a rare thing. You, you, you also chronicle the fact that she is, and I remember reading that probably probably your column, the inside story of with Obamacare. President Obama is willing to give up. He's ready to say that's it. And he, she's like, no, we can still pass this. And she was the reason why the Obamacare passed, the Affordable Care Act passed, correct? Absolutely. It wouldn't have passed without Barack Obama, but it wouldn't have passed without Nancy Pelosi. And there was one extraordinary White House meeting right after Democrats had lost their 60-seat majority in the Senate when Ted Kennedy's seat went to Scott Brown. Uh, And that was a point when a lot of Democrats thought they would not be able to pass a big health care bill. She told Obama that they could either go big or he was on his own. She would not push through a scaled-down version of the Affordable Care Act that Rahm Emanuel, the White House Chief of Staff, among others, were pushing. Go big or go home. That was the choice she gave him. And, of course, he decided to go big, and it got through in a squeaker. Right. And you could say that there was almost nothing else got through, and they caused such partisanship, and he lost 70 seats in the House after that, that maybe Rahm Emanuel's instincts were better. Well, you know, Chuck Schumer uh, is someone who made that point at the time when they lost power. Nancy Pelosi said she had no regrets, that they were there to get things done, not to get reelected. That's fine when she gets reelected, but everybody else didn't. (laughs) Well, that's true. And there's been in this last election, again, uh, Democrats suffered losses in 2020 in the House when they thought they were going to make gains. So she's not it's not that she's got a perfect record in terms of her politics or in terms of her her predictive uh, abilities. Uh, But she but she has gotten some big things done. Something uh, she said that she can't shake 
uh, and but it's telling the truth. Cut 35. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it <laughs> right. away from the fog of the controversy. Right. Away from the fog of the controversy. Because no one really knew what was in it. There was a lot of blank pages in Obamacare, right? Man, she, that, that quote is one I know she would wish she could take back. It reminds me a little of the quote from just uh, right after the George Floyd verdict when she called him, uh, thanked him for for being uh, for sacrificing himself for justice. It was also a tone-deaf, uh, inartful comment that she had to try to walk back. Uh, in fact, that, let's that play, was, can I play uh, for that, our audience, Susan? This isn't yeah. in your book because this just happened, but your book is called Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. This is what she said a couple of days ago. Thank you, George Floyd, for sacrificing your life for justice, for being there to call out to your mom. How, how heartbreaking was that? Call out for your mom. I can't breathe. But because of you and because of thousands, millions of people around the world who came out for justice, your name will always be synonymous with justice. Yeah, that's uh, not appropriate. <laughs> no, even her even her allies were cringing at that, and she tried to walk it back with a, a tweet. But, you know, Nancy Pelosi has never been that great in the public stuff, in the talking out loud stuff. She's not a great speaker. What she's great at is inside the closed-door room where deals are made. And what did you find out when you sat with her? For example, I did not know she climbed over Steny Hoyer to become the whip to put her on the launch pad to become speaker. How'd she do that? You know, she took her dad's advice. Her dad told her, and you mentioned this earlier, her dad told her, no one's going to give you power if you want it, you need to seize it. And that is exactly what she did. Steny Hoyer thought he was on a track to be the next Democratic whip and on the ladder to be the leader, maybe the speaker. And she launched a campaign. It lasted for three years for the Democratic whip position. The job wasn't open at the time she started her campaign. And she defeated him. And she has been one step ahead of Steny Hoyer in the leadership ever since. Do you? Uh, so in uh, 2016, she wanted to retire. But then... President Trump wins. Uh, they hate each other, uh, I think, with every fiber of their mutual beings. But I think culminated in the ripping up of the State of the Union address, which I hold is one. Of, I would say the same thing if John Boehner did it or Denny Haster did it um, or Paul Ryan, but they never would do it. You say you have the backstory to wh- how this took place. I, I do. Um, and, you know, I think it was I think it was the one time when Donald Trump really made Nancy Pelosi lose her cool in public. Uh, He had given her a text of the speech when he arrived uh, to deliver the State of the Union in 2020. That's very traditional. She was reading through it. She saw something she thought was wrong, and she wanted to make a note to get back to it, but she couldn't find a pen. There's a little drawer up there. She said she opened the drawer. It was empty. Um, So she made a little tear in the margin so she could get back to this point. And then she found something else she thought was wrong and made a tear. And again, and again, and of course, when the president honored uh, Rush Limbaugh, that was just about the last straw for a lot of Democrats in the chamber. When it was over, she said, I decided if he was going to shred the truth, I was going to shred his speech. She did something I have never seen in all my years in Washington, stood up, standing behind the president, tearing up his speech, uh, Mike Pence standing next to her, pretending he can't see what's going on. Susan, what did you think as a reporter? Do you think that was appropriate? Uh, Well, I don't – I'm not a commentator. I thought it was – I thought it was unprecedented. I thought it was the biggest show 
of disrespect between the leaders of two branches of government that I have seen in the decades I've worked in Washington. When you see her district and that it's known more for its homelessness than it is for its profits, I mean, do you think that that reflects on her at all? Well, she she represents that district. She's enormously popular in that district, so her voters think she's doing a good job. It's a, it's a city with a lot of problems, uh, homelessness being one that you just can't miss when you go to San Francisco. It's it's also been a pretty prosperous city, and you know she really made her bones in San Francisco when she came to Congress and worked initially as one of the leaders in addressing HIV-AIDS at a time most politicians were keeping their distance. So when uh, we're looking at a situation where just a handful of seats, uh, between two and five seats, separate Democrats and Republicans, the majority in the House, with redistricting so much success Republicans had in state houses, uh, most experts think that this House is going to Republicans in a year and a half. But who knows? If it does, is she done or will she go into minority again? No, I think that this is probably her last term in Congress. She's she's indicated that. She hasn't said that in the kind of flatly uh, Sherman-esque way, but she has indicated that this will be her last term. You know, she's 81 years old. Uh, any place but Congress, that would be retiring age. So so in other words, even if she keeps the majority, you don't think she's going to keep stay, stay speaker in 2020, after 2022? That's that. That is what that is my judgment. That's not something I can guarantee, but I, that is my sense of what her intentions are. You had to have won over respect to get ten sit downs with her. What won her over to cooperate? Well, it wasn't what I did on the first interview, which was she offered me a Dove bar. You know those ice cream bars. I took a bite into it and shattered little cho- the chocolate icing all over her pristine carpet. So there I am with the Speaker of the House at the first interview, desperately trying to pick up melting chocolate off her carpet. <laughs> I thought I would never get a second interview. Um, but I think I think that uh, I would when I had these interviews, I tried to bring her things she didn't know about her family, uh, archives from Jack Murtha, the the late congressman from Pittsburgh who had been a big ally, uh, uh, a patent application her mother had filed uh, when she was a little girl for a machine that her mother uh, designed to give women facials. I think that it showed that I was serious about trying to do a biography that was 360 degrees. You like her more or less afterwards? I, I like her more. Uh, she had. There were times when she had more of a sense of humor than I think she shows in public. Uh, she. I interviewed her actually last week for not for the book, obviously, but for USA Today, and we were talking about the events of January sixth. And I asked if the mob had caught up with her, would they have killed her? And she said that was what they were setting out to do, but they would have had a battle on their hands. She said, "I'm a street fighter," and then she lifts up her foot and points to her four-inch stilettos and says, in any case, I could have used these as a weapon. Susan Page, congratulations. A monster task, and you pulled it off. Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. Thanks, Susan. Hey, thank you, Brian. You got it. When we come back, uh, we'll take your calls. Don't move. Scapegoat. You know what a scapegoat is? They get a goat, and they heap all of the ills onto the goat, and then they run the goat out of town. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
If the Attorney General's report concludes that under state law you did sexually harass employees, will you resign from office, yes or no? Uh, let's see what the review says and then we'll take it from there. Well, can you please clarify exactly what that means? Will you resign from office if she concludes you did violate uh, the sexual harassment laws in their state? Yeah, let's see what the report says and then we will take it from there. It, it, it just does. Okay. And later on, that was uh, New York Post reporter Ryan Taranelli, who somehow got through the gauntlet. They only want positive pre-screen questions for Governor Cuomo because he's got about nine accusers, multiple investigations on his ridiculous conduct of writing a book, using staffers to do it, and then promoting it, getting a four, $4 million signing bonus, by the way. And then you have nine accusers of sexual harassment. Then you have the nursing home situation where he blatantly lied about the numbers and might have told staffers to do it. They're trying to investigate that. And then you have somebody who asks a real question and you cut them off off. The arrogance for someone to stay in power when both sitting senators tell you to resign is unbelievable, along with the mayor of the city, who is an embarrassment in his own right. But having said that, I worry that Governor Cuomo is going to get a pass here. He's arrogant. He's self-obsessed. He has really hurt the city and the state in ways that aren't seen possible. His numbers indicate what a failure he is. He's the only one who doesn't realize it. The only one. And watch him even try to run for re-election if he's not stopped by his attorney general. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. BrianKilmeade.com. Order any of my books. Get them signed and sent. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We are coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, One of the things that we've been talking about a lot more than I ever remember talking about on this show and on Fox News is about education because we're taking a look at the curriculum. Why? We're looking over the shoulder of our kids who are Zooming at home. Uh, We're wondering what's missing from an education and what they're focusing on because somehow we're all affected, whether you have grandkids, whether you are a young adult, whether you are just out of college and you're maybe uh, teaching. Everyone's taking a look at the curriculum. And then we're also seeing the results with these rallies in the streets, and we're wondering why our kids are coming home and saying bizarre things about how how bad our country is. You know, and how negative it is. Uh, we're on stolen land. We, uh, uh, we are, we're built on the 1619, not 1776 principles. And all of a sudden, we're fighting for something we usually have to leave the country to fight about, and that is the goodness and greatness of America, let alone the math they find racist now, too. How did this happen? Democrats have been working on this for decades. Bill Bennett will be joining us, uh, uh, the former Secretary of Education under Ronald Reagan. And then when it comes to a career and recalibrating, why not talk to one of the best talent agents in the business, Ken Linder? He just talks about how you could find your passion. So many people have a chance to sit back, collect, because they've been fired or laid off, uh, or they've been forced to work from home and say, what do I really want to do now? We thought this would be the perfect time to have Ken on with his brand new book. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If we give in to this, America will change as we know it. They will destroy the independence of the judiciary, making D.C. a state as just an unbelievable power grab. So we have an ability to deny them a quorum by not simply not showing up. I'm willing to do that. 
and that's what he's going to maybe have to do to avoid making D.C. a state, Supreme Court packing on down. The Bernie Biden agenda. That's what America is getting as free college and D.C. statehood go from bonehead idea to a bill. There was This is the reason why Bernie Sanders was not elected. This is why he didn't get the nomination. America doesn't want this. Well, Bernie Sanders is getting everything he wants. Now we're getting uh, pressure is mounting to kill the filibuster to put it all through. Number two. No President Biden. No Vice President Harris. Not a single member of the administration has paid us a visit here in Yuma, or any of Arizona's other border cities. President Mm. Biden, you should declare a national emergency. Uh, Governor Ducey, obviously, is his voice quivering with anger because as governor of Arizona, his border is being overrun, which means our country is refusing to help. Departed uh, the the, the, uh, desperate border governors demand uh, aid for unrelenting surging at the border. The VP, given the assignment, has basically shown utter disinterest. She says she's going to go to the Triangle countries sometime in June and have a Zoom call next week. She was given the portfolio in March. Number one. Just as America was hopeful of a step forward after the traumatic and exhausting trial of Derek Chauvin and the verdict that was reached. So our focus is on um, working to address systemic racism and implicit implicit bias head on. Uh, That is unbelievable. That is Jen Psaki. Policing in America. First and foremost, a reset requires law enforcement respect on deck reform. What is Congress working on? Are cops on board? Meanwhile, in Columbus, Ohio, you have a simmering, I guess, collective neighborhood after a police-involved shooting is being investigated. A 16-year-old is about to stab another teen and was shot dead before she could stab. LeBron James irresponsibly weighs in, blames the cop. With me right now is uh, Bill Bennett, former education secretary under Ronald Reagan, the first drug czar in the country, and host of uh, Wise Guys. You see him all over the channel as a Fox News contributor. Bill, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. You're doing a great job. Thank you. And and, uh, Bill, first off, when you look at what's happening in, in America right now, first off with this civil unrest and now we're suddenly this racist country, uh, I don't know where you were in the 60s, but I remember reading about things like this in the 60s and the factor in the Vietnam War. It seemed like America was coming apart. Does this feel the same? Yeah, it does. It's continuous. Uh, and I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of people think it just started. It really did start in the 60s. Uh, I wrote a history book called America, the Last Best Hope called 1968, the Annus Horrible. It's the horrible year. Uh, But uh, I was in or around universities from uh, the early 60s into the 70s, uh, and uh, this is uh, where a lot of it hatched. Uh, And I remember when I became Secretary of Education visiting the schools uh, in the late 80s, seeing stuff on bulletin boards saying, you are the most important person in your life. You know, it's what you feel that matters. And I said, man, this is going to cause us trouble. Uh, and it has. Can I just come back to one thing you said in your opening? Because yep. I was so moved by it. And I went back to what you were talking about on TV this morning. That 911 call to in Columbus, that woman, I think a young black woman, said, we need a police officer here now. Uh, how about that, uh, you know, as a measure of what's uh, – of what's going on and then you get this publicity police officer shot uh you know young black woman how about police officer saved uh life of young black woman who was about to be killed well but, bill i'm going to just really add some context really... no it's a, no i'm going to add something to that do you know the new yeah, york times ahead. washington post and public television did this story and left out the fact that the woman who was shot the teen that was shot had a knife in her hand 
So you wonder why no. LeBron James no. might have read that story and said, wait a second, just got shot because you were called they were fighting? But how do you leave yeah. the knife out of that story? Yeah, that's unbelievable. That just tells you how reckless and shameless, that shameless, unlike shameful, means without shame. There's no shame. Uh, and just go lie just to push the agenda. My problem is, or the one I focus on, is why is this agenda being bought by so many people? And as you and I have talked about before, Democrats understand one thing that Republicans don't. What you teach them in the schools, colleges and universities, and then trickle down to the high schools matters. It comes out. It comes out in the streets and to a larger audience. It comes out to people who applaud what's going on in the street or are ambivalent or don't know what to think about what's going on in the street. And that's because of what's happening in education. Um, now Biden's got this huge bill that they're going to try to push forward. Scale is enormous. It's called uh, Civics Secures Democracy, a billion dollars a year for six years. That goes, you can see the transformation uh, of American education in the largest way yet uh, toward uh, a progressive left-wing leftist perspective, and it would be disastrous for America. Bill, do you know any other country that is trying to destroy itself? I mean, we're literally trying to rip ourselves down. That's a great question. Because nobody else has yeah. been successful. No, that's right. Well, you know, Solzhenitsyn said uh, back at Harvard, he said, you know, if uh, destruction comes, it'll come from within uh, after the United States. He said he worried about the country and destruction from within. Uh, this is what Lincoln uh, said even uh, earlier, earlier than that. Uh, you know, we uh, we live forever or commit uh, suicide. We live forever or die by our own hand. He understood that. And this is what we're witnessing now. Some people, I have to tell you, think it's already over, that we've lost. But we can't. We can't say that. We haven't lost. We haven't lost yet. And there is resistance. Take this great figure, Brian, you've been talking about, Andrew Gutman, this guy in New York, investment banker, pulling his daughter out of the Brearley School, what, 55000 a year, uh, and writing a letter and then Following that, we get this telephone call from this uh, father with the principal of another school. Paul Rossi. Uh, or headma yeah, headmaster saying. Hey, do you want to hear yeah, this, yeah, Bill? We, we... Ahead, so so what, yeah. what happened is Paul Rossi said, I've had it. I'm not renewing my contract, but this school is, is indoctrinating kids. They're not teaching kids. So he decides to call the headmaster and tape the call, the principal. Let's listen. Some of our students, white people? Yes. Okay, so we're demonizing white, we're demonizing white kids. Why don't you just say it? We are, I, we are using language that makes them feel less than um, for nothing that they are personally responsible for. Is that unbelievable? Yeah, it's unbelievable. That's my point about the shameless. If somebody had said that before, they would have apologized. And I'm sorry, it's really crazy, but that's the way it is. But he just says it because this is the way the world works, because we have changed standards. We have turned things upside down. See, I, I was, you know, the people used to say when we used to travel abroad, you know, these Americans are so loud and pompous. They think that the whole world revolves around them. They try to speak English in foreign countries. So we've gone the opposite. Now we travel around the world uh, collectively and individually, and we apologize. And then we try to yeah, we we want to give our land back to the American Indians, and we, wanted, uh, we want to we want to 
apologize for being white supremacist about what happened in 1776 when what was happening there was happening in every continent in the world at the time. We did not invent slavery, nor did we have the most slaves. Sadly, it was part of civilization yeah. at the time. That's right. No, exactly right. And uh, Adams and Jefferson are talking about the Barbary pirates. You know this story. You've written about it. And, uh, you know, and Jefferson says, I want to get these guys. Uh, you know, they're they're capturing our ships, our people, uh, these uh, these, uh, uh, you know, these Islamic uh, pirates. And uh, Adams says, OK, go ahead. But I'll tell you, if you fight them, you'll be fighting them for 150 years. Uh, he was right about he was right about that. But you know, we went forward and we went forward confidently. This loss of confidence in ourselves, this loss of confidence in this nation and what it means. Uh, in some ways, it's very simple. If this country, I mean, the lie is very simple to explain. If this country were as bad as it is, why the hell does everybody want to come here? <laughs> why do so many brown and black people want to come into this godforsaken racist country? Great point. Um, you know, but we can't we can't stop them. I used to say, used to have the Gates test. I used to say with kids when I went around the country teaching classes, and I said, I love this country. You know, you should too. Give it the Gates test. Which way do people run when you raise the gates? You know, a lot of countries you raise the gates, people run out. In this country, you raise the gates, people run in. You don't even raise the gates, and people run in. Uh, what is it so uh, horrible about this country that we are right. now setting records for illegal immigration? Right, and there's pressure. So, Bill, this is what uh, – I don't know if you think it's possible, but what happened is when you look at AOC and say, well, who taught her like that? When you see the number of squad members yeah, growing, right, like, where did this right. come from, these educated people who have this horrible vision of America and this view that we got to destroy our energy in order to escape greed energy and that relates to society? Some of these rants are just incomprehensible. So how do well, Republicans <laughs> begin to – how do Republicans begin to take back education? If someone listening right, right now doesn't want to run for president but wants to help their community, what do they do? All right. First of all, I think there's a specific answer to your question. I think AOC went to Boston University, uh, didn't she? I think yeah. so, or where I, ta where I taught. I was in the philosophy department, philosophy department of 16. I was the only non-Marxist wow. about that, the only non-Marxist anyway. I, so, I, uh, I believe you know, Bill O'Reilly went there, and I believe Howard Stern went there. Uh, all right, there you go. It's a distinguished lineage. <laughs> people go in different directions, but okay. Some people have done have done good, done well. Uh, look, three things. One, uh, the political side. You get the Civic Secures Democracy Act, which the Biden people are pushing. And some Republicans hear the word civics and they get all misty-eyed and say, I'm for it. Few Republican senators have indicated they may vote for this thing. We've got to get on them. We've got to get on them. I'm on them uh, and other people need to as well. Second, um, we need to continue to remind the Republican Party that if you want to change a country, this is how you change it. You go to the schools, you go to the colleges, pay attention to education, make it a priority issue. I've been fighting this for a lot of years. Third, understand that politics is downstream from culture. Daniel Patrick Moynihan said, you know, politics is important, but it's culture that affects uh, politics. Where's culture? It's TV, it's radio, it's college, it's university, uh, it's the schools. And then, then specific efforts. Uh, they're doing this uh, critical race theory thing. They're pushing this, the yep. 1619 Project. I'm working with a team to put a good, solid history and civics curriculum in the schools. We're writing the curriculum right now good. for September 22. 
Awesome. Taking action. And then you continue with your microphone and bullhorn and your resume. People will start paying attention. Uh, Bill Bennett, you have a lot of people hope. Thanks so much. Brian, thanks for understanding the importance of this. Not everybody does. Thank uh, you very much. Absolutely. It's a, th- it's a five alarm fire. Uh, Bill Bennett, thank you. When we come back, your turn, 1-866-408-7669. And then if you're searching for a career, you want to find out what your passion is, Ken Linder, the founder of Positive Life Choice Psychology and the Positive Life Choice Psychology Lifestyle. He's the author of a brand new book called Career Choreography. Uh, He's going to be helping you out, so don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Well, girls over here trying to fight us, trying to stop us, trying to put our hands on our grandma. Get here now. Have you seen any weapons? And what happened is they cut out the part where it said that they have a knife. And when the police officer showed up, the body cam reveals you see a 16-year-old Makita Bryant with a knife lunging at another girl with what appears to be a knife before she was shot by police. The shooting was at 4.45 in the afternoon. At the same day, the Minneapolis jury convicted an ex-cop Derek Chauvin of murder. So now all of a sudden, the activists that were there tearing up Minneapolis feel they can do the same thing to Columbus, Ohio. Unbelievable. Alex, listen on WABC in Brooklyn. Hey, Alex. Good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Good morning. Um, I, I have two things I wanted to tell you, and I wanted to hear if you agree with me. So first, I was thinking maybe cops should only have unlethal weapons on them, so that way criminals don't get killed by accident or not by accident. But then I thought if you take the guns away from criminals, from the cops, I'm sorry, then criminals and murderers aren't going to be so afraid to commit a crime because worst case scenario, they don't get killed. They get shot with a taser, and then they go to prison. So if you take the deadly option away, then you're really in- increasing crimes on the streets. And the second thing was when and Maxine Waters said that as far as she's concerned, it's first-degree murder, and press protesters should stay out on the streets because the system is still broken. Some people said that she was threatening the jurors, so that way they could convict Shulvin with all three charges. But I think that, no, she was afraid that Shulvin would be found guilty of all three charges because if that happens, that means that the system works and the rights aren't necessary, and she and her friends can't fix the system for their own selfish reasons because it's not a racist system. So she set it up and said that no matter what happens in the courtroom, the system is racist, but she really wanted a different outcome. She wanted Shelvin to be charged, not with all three charges, so that way she could still fix the system. With right, uh, in a way, I think you're right. But Alex, here's the here's the thing you got to look out for uh, with that. Uh, you had the you had this case who's uh, Derek Shelvin. I don't even think there was one person came out on his side. You had cops testifying against him. But you don't want the jury intimidated by what's going on in the streets. And I think she was stunned by the fact that this was not Jim Jordan going after Congressman Maxine Waters. It was the judge who used to work with Amy Klobuchar who said that that lawmaker could have just gotten you an appeal. And some have said and come on the show and said in most cases that would have been a mistrial. I mean, that's how wrong she was. And why Nancy Pelosi stood by her, I'll never understand, because that made that she had a chance to be a true leader. Instead, what she is is a true partisan. Senator Schumer is the exact same way. Uh, thanks. I appreciate the call, Alex. When we come back, 
uh, we're going to be joined by Kenny Lindner. Now, if you're one of these people that either in a job that's running out, have been laid off from a job, or through this pandemic when you're first to work at home, you say, listen, this is not my passion. I want to design a career. This guy is one of the most powerful agents in the history of TV. He has now taken a step back, wrote this book called Career Choreography, your step-by-step guide to finding the right job and achieving huge success and, most importantly, happiness. So he's got this book out. It's going extremely well. He's represented people from uh, Megyn Kelly uh, to Liz Clayman, uh, some of the most important people in television over the years, over actually 35 years. So he's going to be joining us. I thought it might be a good thing because so many people are listening to us now where their lives have been turned on their heads because of the pandemic. In fact, whose life hasn't been? We'll talk about that again, too, when we come back. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm outnumbered at 12 o'clock, so don't move. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, keep in mind, at the top of the hour, be on Outnumbered uh, right here on the Fox News Channel. And you can always watch our show right now on Fox Nation. With me uh, now is somebody who's no stranger to TV. He's dominated in his business for as long as he's been in it, almost four decades. He's the founder of Positive Life Choice Psychology and the Positive Life Choice Psychology Lifestyle. He's author of a brand new book, Career Choreography, your step-by-step guide to finding the right job and achieving huge success and happiness. And it's not for the TV host or aspiring anchor. It's for everybody. Uh, Ken, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Good morning. Hi, Brian. How are you? Congratulations. I, I mean, not unexpected, but a big success. You know this business inside and out, and you actually picked the market. You, you know the market. There's a lot of people listening to us right now whose lives and careers have been turned on their heads. How can this book help? Well, Brian, I have been helping people, as you said, for almost four decades take the steps to find the right job for them, secure it, and then thrive in it. So I put a number of steps, which I'd love to chat with you about, yep. to help people get back into the workforce or enter the workforce for the first time. But how does what you learned in TV uh, relate to the everyday person who has no interest in being in front of the camera or being behind the microphone? Well, I believe that there are certain steps what I call a choreography, that um, are effective for everyone. There are logical steps that anyone can take to put the percentages in their favor that they will attain that, that great job. For example, the first thing that I would say is use this pandemic, this time off, to assess what it is you really want. Make this a great reset. Think about the things you do really well. Think about all of the education or all of the experience, the job experiences you've had that make you an asset to a particular employer. And again, take stock of the things you really want in your next job and the things you don't want, and then write a list. I call it a clarifying list so that you clarify in your mind what you want to see in your next job so that when you look for a job, you know what to look for, mm-hmm. and you can effectively articulate those things those assets to a prospective employer when you have an interview. And, Brian, one really big tip for everybody out there who wants to get back into the workforce is think about all of the people with whom you've worked over the years, because those are the people who know how good you are, 
know your contacts, know your work ethic, know the content of your character, and either A, maybe one of those people can hire you, or they can highly recommend you to someone who can hire you. Very quickly, my dad was laid off at 66 years old, and the emotional wind was taken out of his sails because he said to me, Kenny, who's going to hire and invest in somebody who's 66 years old? I told my dad to do exactly what I just said. Keep in touch with all the people who've worked with you before. Um, stay relevant. Read all about the business you plan to go back into. Keep your contacts fresh. And he did. Three years later, someone who he had kept in contact with for three years, mm -hmm. who used to be his buyer trainee, had become the chairman of the board of marshals. He called my dad and said, okay, the time is now. I'm starting a company called TJ Maxx. And Jack, I want you to train all of the individuals that we have as buyers where you train me. My dad started age 69, Brian, and he worked until he was 99. Wow. Parting the information that he knew. So stay in touch with the people who know how good you are. And lastly, don't discount you know, your, your background, your um, work investment. That's an asset that can set you positively apart from everyone else. So how do you feel about people who say, at this point, you know, I just want money? And a lot of people go follow the money. They look up, and they're 35, 40 years old, and they're like, well, you know what? I don't really have a career. You know, I look forward to my vacations. I don't look forward to going to work. How do you find something that is not work? Well, you know, this is, this is very pervasive right now, Brian. It's a great, great question because with the pandemic, so many people have – taken stock of their lives. So many people have, you know, realized the fragility of life and health, and they want more from their job. They want more meaning, or they want more work-life balance, or they want to spend more time at home or by family. So, you know, I think people's values have changed. And by the way, I think employers are now more open to being more flexible. I know I am as an employer. And I think it's time to think about what it is that would make your heart sing. And money's important, but you know what? You spend so much of your time working. And I talk about this in career choreography. There are steps to take, such as, again, thinking about what you don't want in your next job and what would make your heart sing in a new one so that you find a better work-life balance, more purpose and more meaning, and then go out and get that job when the time is right. So the thing is, is even if you are desperate, don't show you're desperate. I remember reading Matthew McConaughey's book, and he comes to Hollywood, and he's meeting with an agent, and he came out. It's like, I need this job. I need this job. He goes, no, you're not ready. You're not ready for this job. You can't need this job. you got to be ready to have this job. How do you not show that desperation that you're, you're extremely worried about paying your bills and what, and what is around the bend, which technically we're not even out of this yet? Right. Well, you know, one of the things I talk about in career choreography is managing your emotions. You never want to make a decision or make a move when you're enveloped in toxic emotions such as fear, sadness, you feel resentful, you feel hurt, you feel diminished. You always, what happens then is you, you want to make a quick fix decision, and most times you don't make a decision for the long term that's constructive for the long term. And in career choreography, I talk about it's like playing chess. One move affects and impacts many other moves. So you need to think long term about what moves you make. 
So when talking about desperation, not only do you not want to show desperation, but you don't want to make a decision or have a meeting when you're feeling that way. And I actually talk about the steps you can take to dissipate fear, because we all have fears during the, during the pandemic. We all have concerns, and we need to get past those uh, in order to make our very clearest professional decisions. I know what you, you know, you give some examples too in the book, like people call up and they might have a son or a daughter and they need some advice on what they want to do. They don't know exactly what they want to do. So you'll say, ask a series of questions. What are you interested in? And this one girl says to you, well, I love playing soccer. I also love working with Down syndrome kids. I like being around other people. How do you take some of the things where you could just back off and say, don't worry about a career. Just tell me what you like. Tell me what you enjoy doing and then find the career to match that, right? Right. In fact, uh, that girl's name is Sarah. Um, you've, got, you've got a great memory, Brian. And so Sarah was um, a young lady that was sent to me by a client of mine, and she was in college, and she was conflicted because she wanted to be the stay-at-home mom that her mother was, but she also wanted to work with Down syndrome children and wanted to teach them five days a week. So how can you be the stay-at-home mom and work five days a week? And she also was a great musician. She was great at the piano and great at the guitar. So these are all the things that I asked her to write down in her clarifying list. It clarified and crystallized for us the things that she really loved to do. She was also a great listener and a great problem solver. So what I said to her was, let's put all of these assets, um, these pieces of information, into you know, our thought processes. And what I said was, Here's the idea. Here's the choreography. Instead of teaching Down syndrome children five days a week, be a Down syndrome um, uh, counselor or psychologist. That way you can work from a home office or you work from an office, you know, uh, close to your home, and you don't have to be in school five days a week. So you can balance being a stay-at-home mom Mm -hmm. or an attentive mom and, and having a schedule that's flexible. And when it comes to your gifts of music, use that music to draw out and, and give the joy of music to those Down syndrome children. Well, you know, three or four years later now, she's just about uh, finishing college and she's on her way to uh, getting a graduate degree in being a special needs counselor. And it was because We saw what she wanted and what her value system was that we were able to creatively come up with a choreography of her being able to be a stay-at-home mom Mm -hmm. one day and yet fulfill her dream of working with Down syndrome children. So Kenny Linder, one of the most respected people in TV and uh, film and radio, is on the air with us right now. He's got a brand-new book out. It's called Career Choreography, Your Step-by-Step Guide to Finding the Right Job and Achieving Youth Success and Happiness. So, Ken, used to dealing with emerging stars and established stars, Lester Holt, arguably top five most powerful person, people in news, Megyn Kelly, as talented as any people and successful as anybody you're ever going to meet, on down. What did you, um, what do you, what did you learn for their success that can help you with average everyday people? Or is there even a difference I don't think there's a difference, Brian, but I will tell you, I'll tell you two things that I've learned, which I'd love to share with your listeners. One, you know, whether it's Oprah Winfrey, who so blossomed as a host, and she was a terrific anchor in Baltimore, but when she became a host in Chicago and then got her own show, 
it showcased all of her gifts, you know, her, her ability to dig down deep in her soul, her ability to listen and be compassionate. And what, what I analogize from Oprah's example to everyone else's, find a job, a position, a career, which takes advantage of your skill sets, which showcases your gifts, which takes advantage of the things you love to do. Because if you, and here's the second tip, if you love what you do, if you're good at it, and you feel, and you believe in what you do, you feel good about what you do every day, mm-hmm. not only will you be happy, but the chances are you'll put the, you know, you put the percentages in your favor that you'll be highly successful. Where does money and happiness line up? How do they line up in your world? I believe if you're really good at what you do and you're happy, the money will come. I must tell you that, you know, I, was, I, I went to law school, graduated from law school, and was just about to, sit, to take a corporate law firm job. And I did my own clarifying list, Brian. I said, what do I want to do? I love working with people, not projects. I love being an entrepreneur. I love being a marketer. And I love contract law. And, you know, the law firm job sort of lined up with all of those criteria. But then all of a sudden I met the president of a major agency just before I was about to take that job. And he told me about the people, you know, the people business. And he had, they had represented Elvis and the Beatles and, and Billy Joel and Robert Redford and all these big talents. And I thought, how amazing is that to work with people and see what can be in them, which is what I love to do, and then choreograph the steps to help them get to, you know, to live their dreams. And it met all my criteria. And I went to work for that agency at less than half of the money that the law firm offered me. But I truly believe that if I were really good at what I I did and I was passionate about what I did, and I loved what I did, the money would come. And the money has come, but I'll tell you, if I won the lottery today, I would not stop doing what I, what I do, Brian. You know, I love what I do. I love helping people, you know, self-actualize and, and, and fulfill their dreams. So I wouldn't, do, I wouldn't change. I know money is important, uh, and I wouldn't discount it. But I think if you're really great at what you do, the money will come. Absolutely. So there's this study out because we're in the pandemic right now. We're talking to Kenny Lindner that two and three people want to work remotely full time after the pandemic ends. That's a new survey. About 11 percent said not being allowed to work at home anymore wouldn't bother them. But most people do. They have discovered this. What is your reaction? Because you can do your you know, you as an agent, you could do your job anywhere, too. Right. Maybe some of your agents that work with you. So funny, Brian. We are actually moving today to a smaller office because I'm going to work remotely from now on, as, as, as are many of my staff members. So we'll still have a smaller office, but we don't need to um, work in an office these days. So, you know, with the computer, with everything and all of our tools, I think employers understand. And um, I really believe are empathetic uh, to people working remotely. Uh, I must tell you, Uh, As long as my staff members remain productive, some of them have young children at home. Yep. Makes it easier for them. It makes them happy. And you know what? It it uh, it breeds loyalty. Um, I'm all for 
helping people find a great work right. work life balance. Hey, the worst worst comes to worst, Kenny. You go, you know, you go get your bigger office and make everyone come back, but the productivity isn't there. But people are beginning to realize, and I even noticed with the NFL, they did the draft. The, most of these coaches and GMs were working from their house. And they actually had their family on their lap when they're usually working 20 hours a day. So maybe you can do that job and be home. So that would be one of the good things to come out of this terrible pandemic. Uh, Ken, congratulations on the book and everyone that's buying it. Career Choreography is the name of it. Best of luck with the move, Ken. Thank you so much, Brian. And thanks for having me on your show. You got it. Uh, When we come back, we'll find out if there's more to know. Top of the hour, on to Outnumbered on Fox News Channel. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I think it's time. I'm just checking my watch to find out if there's indeed a need to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. So good news for Michael Keaton fans, people who like Night Shift. He's returning as Batman in the upcoming Flash movie. Keaton first played the Cape Crusader in Tim Burton's 1989 hit, Batman. And then again in 1992, the Flash movie will, the, the Flash star will be introducing fans to the idea of the multiverse of one of the core concepts underpinning DC Comics. A Keaton version of Batman reportedly will not affect Matt Reeves' movie, The Batman, starring Robert Pattinson. All we have is these cartoon characters making movies now. People are looking for sure things with big money. But right? I know you're excited about the multiverse because you, you you were telling me how much you love how the fact you could have multiple well, I, characters from multiple franchises, from multiple movies, from multiple decades exactly. ago, but all we, show up. What really bothers me, too, is they're making Mr. America somebody who apologizes for wars that we're in. That's the other big story that's happening. Next, President Biden uh, administration is blocking the Veterans Annual Memorial Day motorcycle a rally. That, according to Congressman uh, Brian Mast, lost both his legs in battle. Uh, the Pentagon special events confirmed that AMVET's permit on March 11th had been revoked, uh, citing a routing error. Uh, in a letter, Mast urged Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin to promptly approve the permit uh, being sought by AMVETS. Quote, I can confirm that we received the letter from Brian Mast. As other congressional correspondents, we will respond directly to the member of Congress, uh, the Pentagon spokesman said. Let's get the rally going. Enough canceling things because of the pandemic. Next, rap music and strong coffee make you a better driver. How long have I been saying this? Okay, I've never said this. UK-based behavioral science consultancy CX Lab and car insurance company U-Switch collaborated on this experiment. They say factors were drinking a strong cup of coffee 20 minutes before taking the test, listening to an audio track of noisy children, and listening to rap, techno, heavy metal, classical, jazz, or R&B music combined to make you a better driver. That's great to know. What's your type of music that would make you a better driver? Uh, it's love songs. Nothing but love songs. That's all I need. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Uh, watch me on Outnumber at the top of the hour. I'll be the man in the middle talking about things that matter most. And always remember, Brian Kilmeade Show can be found right here and on Fox Nation. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.